Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate and use in our lives. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower, whether that's in relation to personal growth, genuine belonging, positive impact, or simply having fun. So welcome to episode six of the Joy Superpowers podcast series. And today I'm going to be talking with Nick Elston. And together we're going to be talking about emotional well-being and more specifically about resilience as we explore the joy superpower of overcoming anxiety. Nick is a leading inspirational speaker on the lived experience of mental health and a transformational speaking coach. Nick, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Andrew. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. Fantastic, fantastic. And could you start by telling us, you know, what is your definition of anxiety and, and how hard <laughs> is it for a person to recognise if they might be suffering from it? To start with an easy one, Andrew. <laughs> okay, so just to kind of set the, the precedent, I guess, um, that my, my angle on things and, and what I'm going to be sharing today is from a lived experience perspective. So I'm not solution focused in that sense. Yep. I, I don't coach or fix anybody when it comes to mental health, but I share my own experiences of mental illness, mental health, and work with organizations on mental health strategies. So that's a disclaimer. Very good. <laughs> Take if, it. Anything, if anything goes wrong from here on in, it wasn't me. I was over here. Okay. The billing. They can blame me and not you. I'm happy with that. Exactly, yeah. So actually, the definition of anxiety is um, it's a really personal experience. It, it looks and feels differently for different people. It has to be said, anxiety is a healthy mechanism. Uh, it's your brain telling yourself there's danger, go careful. You do need that in your life. Um, but for me, anxiety looks like regret from the past or fear of the future. Mm. Very rarely is it actually in the day for me, but it's when we start to let our minds and our, ourselves wander too back uh, in time or too far ahead. That's where we start to really get overwhelmed by anxiety. Right. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, when I think about the word anxiety, you know, it's sort of, I think about worrying, which is, you know, we worry on things every day, right? We worry about delivering a presentation. We worry about this podcast. Uh, we worry about something new, unknown. We have so much to worry about in our lives, how we're perceived by others. And, and more often than not in these situations, you know, we're given the advice, hey, don't worry. So I wonder what, where's that border? When do we reach this so-called excessive worrying? Um, can this be identified in some way? Yeah, I think so. I, I think certainly you touched on that word kind of obsession. That, that certainly if you're doing something through obsession and compulsion rather than choice, mm. that's certainly something that's healthy to check in on. Just to kind of have a conversation, if, if not with anybody else, with yourself around why you're feeling that way about something. And especially with my experiences of obsessive compulsive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, they are both fueled by high anxiety running on repeat. So, but it also has to be said that most of the anxiety is created kind of, um, we use that word fear, but very often it's false evidence appearing real. We're, we're hardwired to look for danger. We're hardwired to look for the bad stuff. 
this kind of very primal instinct. So actually very often we're not going to be right. We need to set out on this mission to kind of prove ourselves wrong. So again, we would either spend our time ruminating about past relationships and events and mistakes and things that have gone wrong, yeah. feeling guilty, feeling anxiety, feeling worry and stress, or we will start to catastrophize our future events. So again, our friendships, relationships, partnership, business, whatever that may be, but very often is it based in truth, in the actual mm. reality of the situation. So yeah, um, check for the fear, false evidence appearing real. False evidence of fear. Now I like that, that's a really concrete thing people can do because as you say, the natural instinct in many of these situations because of the way mm. we're hardwired is to look for the fear, to, to doubt. Yeah, and if you absolutely, and if your audience is ever experienced things like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or generalized anxiety mm. disorder, GAD, um, if they've ever experienced that, actually, if you haven't got something to be anxious about, you will actively seek it. It's kind of like it, it's, it creates a void in your life, mm. and it sounds really weird to people who've never experienced this, but it's where you run on high anxiety and high nervous energy. When you haven't got that, you feel like you're missing something. And that's why you see a lot of things like burnout and breakdown in the corporate world, especially all the businesses and the industries that I work in are, are running at high levels of stress. Yeah. And that those kind of mentalities and environments where we are conditioned to run at high anxiety. So in some industries, it can be coached in a weird way. Right. And that's this sort of comment, uh, don't worry, be happy. So it doesn't really help in that situation, I presume. Well, it's great in principle, isn't it? I want a bumper sticker or something. But yeah. in, reality, in reality, I think that chasing happiness can create a lot of anxiety. Mm. Um, in my, so again, this is personal opinion. I, I personally believe that we, we need to strive to reach a, a, a point of zero. So that's okay. our neutral state. Mm. Whereas instead of spending our lives in danger and negativity, yeah. actually zero is a pretty good place to be. That's where, for me, that's where I get my peace of mind. And quite often, if I am at zero, I'm inclined to go for a good day because that's what happens. Mm. It's when we're starting off from a position of fear, feeling that we should be happy, that's when the anxiety creeps in. We compare ourselves against everybody else. Right, and it's too far. I can really really ramble about the subjects. No, that's great. That's what this is all about. We're just rambling. We're just having a blast. Um, So, but what you're saying is that if somebody starts from this position of low down, trying to get to the top of the mountain, it's too far, right? Let's... Yeah, I think I think that's that's very true. I think there's also this kind of you you see this a lot in terms of social media for sure. I mean, it's a whole different web kind of uh, uh, section and episode altogether, isn't it? But it is. um, you see you see this a lot in terms of expectations. So I see a lot of a lot of this in entrepreneurship. That um, if if we're not an entrepreneur, then we failed at being business people. When actually, I know amazing people being the best second in command they can be being the best road builder or, or house builder they can be. Um, there's a lot of shame involved. And I think it's the same with positivity and happiness, actually. But if, we, if we're not feeling happy, we feel guilty. That, well, and we do that thing where we can compare. Now, I would say, well, who am I to worry and get anxious about this when over here, somebody's lost their life and somebody, we were talking about it just before we hit record, didn't we? We have this comparison thing where we compare our lot against somebody else's lot, but it doesn't work that way. Because if something causes you pain or frustration or anxiety, you've got every right to sort it out for yourself. Comparison doesn't actually get thrown into the mix. Um, over the past 18 months, I've had the real pleasure of being a keynote speaker for the 
health service here for the mm. frontline conference five times. Now they've got a whole raft of, of hell going on in their lives right now, but actually they are just in the same kind of place as people that have been permanently locked down in residential homes over that period as well. Yeah. And so when I donate time to local residential homes, they have a, an extreme set of challenges as well. That actually they were locked down well before pandemic. So it's an interesting one. We can't compare our stuff against everybody else's because perspective gets a bit skewed. Yeah, I think you're right. That comparison and that pursuit of happiness um, can in some ways be a negative thing, you know, and that's one of the reasons we chose joy rather than happiness as yeah. seeing that joy is a state of being which allows for all types of emotions. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Absolutely. Accept it, embrace it, and move on. Saying, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying this is on your brilliant episode now i'm not saying it's sort of in front of you right now but actually right. it's, it's an amazing title the amazing title of the of the, the podcast is, is called because like i said it's the same with positivity that mm. i don't think i could be friends with somebody who's positive all the time they just do my head in right. <laughs> need a bit of sarcasm now and again you, you, yeah, you need a bit just need a bit of reality because there are going to be days i mean like i said even doing what i do mm. in the space that i do it to, to tens and tens of thousands of people all over the world, even pre-pandemic, that right. I get days where I wake up feeling, not at all, I don't feel this at all. Mm. So this is not like Hallelujah is cured. I manage my stuff daily yeah. because I'm never chasing positivity or happiness in that sense. What I'm chasing is to be at a point where you achieve a state of zero. It's the same mm. reason why mental health has got a really bad rap as a term. Mm. But actually, it's such a neutral state. That's what we should be achieving, mental health, like physical health. Yeah. But very often, people will say to me, Nick, I have mental health. And I said, well, yes, you do. 100% of the humans on the planet have mental health. But whether it's good or bad, that's a whole different thing. Correct. I think they, we need to start to change the meaning of the term mental health. And I like to consider it a muscle, something that we can exercise mm. and nourish and nurture, something every single day we can do, even if it's not going our way, even if we're seeking professional help, we can start to do things ourselves to bring that joy back in, to go forward with purpose, not necessarily positivity, but mm. with purpose. And it does start to change things day on day. Definitely. I think what we try and do is sort of, we don't really talk too much about mental health. We talk about emotional well-being and mm. mental well-being. And, and yeah. often finding that if you can develop your mental well-being skills, your emotional well-being improves by itself yeah, because you've got more resilience, you have more ability to set your own goals, to set boundaries, whatever different areas of these mental skills. It, so, it's, the, it's the same toolbox, really, I think. Yeah. I think for me, I focus on developing my mental health with the strategies and tools that I have in place. Every week, I still have counselling and therapy. I use it as a proactive tool. Mm. Um, so it's my safe space to kind of talk and go through my stuff. Um, but so the emotional well-being side of things actually follows. Because if I can get myself on a, on a great kill mentally, if I'm doing the right things mm. physically, then emotionally follows. And actually what I like about that is I don't have to try to be emotionally well. It just happens as a byproduct. <sighs> that joyous things happen because I get the building blocks in place to mm. start with. That is so important advice to focus on the building blocks rather than the end goal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you yeah. can work on those building blocks individually or as a group and therefore find yourself sort of sneakily becoming having better emotional well-being without even trying. 
in a way. So I like that sneaky development. It's good. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of different types of anxiety already. You mentioned OCD and GAD. And from yeah. our research, I think, and we quoted Gartner and the research he did into to five types where there's also panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, and obviously post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, which many people are familiar with. So obviously there are very five different specific types of anxiety, but are there any sort of general symptoms you think that people can spot and start seeking help irrespective of what type of anxiety they might be facing? Well, hindsight's an amazing thing, but we don't mm. have the power of that, sadly. And I think my experience was due to, to continued mental health and mental illness challenges. I had a, a breakdown in 2012 and mm. a following sustained burnout. Now, looking back, I absolutely saw the points that were leading that way. So I guess that drawing on that experience, yeah. that we have all the answers we'll ever need. We just need to ask ourselves the right questions. So the two things I'll probably throw into the mix here for your consideration, your audience consideration mm. is this. Masking behavior. If you start to be what people want to see in you, if you start to be what situations demand of you, but you're afraid to show yourself or put your opinion forward, again, a great thing to check in on. Mm. Because if we, we can only go for so long not being ourselves before we, beget, we become lost. And I think that's, that's kind of the point where I try and catch people is where they feel that lost feeling. Mm. Um, and we do that. I mean, I, I certainly, uh, at my worst, I was a different person at home than I was with, with my workplace, a different person with my friends, and, but none of them were me. I was just trying to mirror what people wanted to see in me. And I think the second thing to throw into the mix, and, and certainly when it comes to things like burnout, why people get to that point, is if I ask everybody listening and watching this now, um, get out your calendar, get out your diary, is there a part of your day, just 30 minutes a day for you to rest and recover and recharge so that you can go again strong tomorrow? And I bet you there isn't, but we can only run for so long until we stop. Trust me, I've been there. Yeah. We can only run for so long until we stop. And that's the problem. We don't now. We're so busy being busy. We're firefighting all the time that we don't prioritize ourselves mm -hmm. as if we were our best client, our most important asset. And we absolutely are. We need to prioritize ourselves that way. I mean, yeah. let's take reincarnation off the table here, just in case. If we get yeah. one go around with this, let's make it. <laughs> Let's, let's make it our day around because actually there's the thing if we give away our work today to pay the bills as we absolutely mm. need to i mean last time i checked with the mortgage company the bills don't get paid on dreams and missions so we absolutely need to pay our yeah. bills however the rest of our time will give away to whoever shouts loudest and therein lies the problem mm. is that if we're doing that where do we actually feature in our own lives and again it comes back down to feeling lost in that yeah i, I love those two tips and i sort of go around those sort of backwards. So talking about the second one and this sort of taking time and using the diary, I think is a fantastic thing because when you do that, you do realize you actually do have time in your lives. Most people, even it's 15 minutes, you know, I'm one of the people who likes to have an afternoon nap, right? It, uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know, people say, well, how can you do that? And I said, well, it makes me so much more efficient for the rest of the day and for tomorrow it's an investment it's not wasting my time it's actually yeah. investing my time in getting more out of my time so i'm more than willing to find that 15 minutes to do that and Absolutely. the second point uh reminds me of the podcast episode we did just recently with a guy called mel schwartz on authenticity 
and yes. the challenges of conformity in today's world you know obviously at work yeah. but also with social media with people being driven to try and conform to be somebody they're not and that negative impact that, that can have on mental health so i think you've that's a very good point yeah absolutely it's the reason why you won't find me on facebook or twitter or instagram it's not a place i want to to kind of live in that sense that mm. and it's not necessarily the platforms that are the problem it's no. our immersion in the platforms and 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 actually sometimes very often when we struggle with our mental health then um the first thing we sacrifice is choice but mm. actually it's the only thing we have is to choose proactively choose to go into each and every day but when, when I'm not feeling my best, I, I don't feel I have the choice to immerse myself well and wisely. So I don't, I just don't, immerse, and so I don't immerse myself in those platforms. Now, I'm not saying that's a never thing, but that's a, a right now thing. And mm. it has been for the past 15, 16 months. So I absolutely get that. Um, and it also really taps into a, a big theme around my speaking coaching stuff around vulnerability. Mm. But vulnerability is, is difficult to achieve, especially in a professional context because we've been told that we should be like this and everything else. And so when you actually, when you start to break that down, when you start to be more open and more vulnerable, mm. that actually, I know we'll probably come on to talking about things like comfort zones and stuff, but um, we need to be prepared for that. It's not as easy to say, right, be vulnerable. Okay, great, I'll go and do that then. Because it throws in other things into the mix like sensitivity and, and feeling defensive and actually being left open and exposed. And so there's a, what I try to focus on is how do we do that in a way where it actually empowers our emotional well-being as opposed to deplete it. Yeah, I think that's great. Although I have noticed in LinkedIn um, over the last year or so, obviously fueled by the pandemic, that there is a lot more vulnerability being shown on the platform. It's not everybody just saying they're having a wonderful day or I hit my sales targets for this quarter, <laughs> yeah. right? Look at me. There's a lot of people out there actually talking about their mental health issues, their challenges yeah. and their stress. And I think that's a really positive sign that in the business world, there's now an acceptance for being real. Yeah, I think so too. I think actually that's where true culture is driven from. It's, it's driven from the middle layer of, of an impre- a professional environment. Mm. So to kind of qualify that, I was, I was interviewing yeah, my podcast re- recently with a, a CEO of a, a large financial services company in, in, uh, in England, and he was very open about his mental illness, mental health challenges. Um, but then when I was speaking to a member of his team a month later, um, then they were saying, well, it's easy for him to say that because he hasn't got that traditional risk of being fired or judged mm. or dismissed. And, and it's interesting how that plays a part. We're conditioned not to be vulnerable. So it's going to take going to take quite a while maybe even a generation to get to the stage where we're we're being vulnerable as you said i love that intently that that purposely yeah vulnerable um so it's great to see that as long as people are either being caught with a solution being signposted um and it has to be said if people are doing it for the right reasons you also see uh sadly a fair few people using mental Mm. health as a sales a sales tactic as well which is which is a shame but I, i believe that well, I'm a, I'm a big fluffy guy. I believe in karma. So I, I'm hopefully it's self-policing and it will see itself out. I think so. I think we could do another podcast about karma as well. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. We've already got three in the bag, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. And in most of your talks, obviously, you share your knowledge and provide tips based upon your own personal experience, which is, which yeah. is wonderful. 
And so would you mind, you know, shortly sharing your own journey with our listeners who, who don't know about your journey, how did it all start and how did you discover that you might be actually suffering from mental illness? Sure. Yeah, thank you. So the, the real nutshell version is that um, I had obsessive compulsive disorder as a kid in my childhood. Uh, it wasn't correctly addressed in a way that maybe it would do now. Um, mm. uh, so I was only seven at the time. Uh, it then morphed into something called generalized anxiety disorder, which is running consistently at a high state of anxiety um, and took that through my education into my adult life, my professional career, constantly running on high anxiety, constantly in earlier than I had to be, away later than I needed to be. Um, I was all, always client facing. I think those people that are self-employed or in a sales role will understand anxiety in sales is, is not a great combination. Yeah. Um, so what I found was, in again, in that magic word, hindsight, that I was running at a state of burnout, and that lasted for nearly a decade, where wow. uh, and in 2012, I, I had a breakdown um, outside of a hotel in, uh, in the southwest of England, and um, speaking was my way back, actually. I'd never done anything like that before, certainly not from my personal stuff. Mm. I was always petrified of doing like a little pitch, let alone anything wow. else. And, uh, Two weeks later, I turned up at the same meeting that it was at. It was like a business networking kind of meeting. And I stood up and I shared what had happened two weeks before. I shared about OCD and kids. It was a brain dump. It literally was cheap therapy. It was 15 quid, including breakfast. So it was cheap therapy. <laughs> it was cheap therapy. So, um, but that's really where everything changed for me. And the rooms got bigger. The audiences got bigger. And I started to travel the world doing the stuff. And, uh, and fast forward to today, it's kind of what I do. So I'm a professional speaker. Uh, as in that's that's what I do. It's my job, um, sharing my my insights to help increase uh, engagement in mental health and well-being initiatives that are out there already. So I'm not a fix, I'm not a solution, but I think for me the missing piece is giving people that permission and need to reach out for help at the time they need it most. Catching people when they feel lost or when they feel that all hope is gone. Mm. That's kind of so I bring in things like personal development stuff yeah. for sure, but also mainly inspiration i don't i don't label what i do per se but it has an effect where people will just talk to me and then they will reach out for help from people that, that can do that for them that is wonderful and, and wonderful. the speaking coaching stuff came from helping other people so what i do is not presentation skills at all uh, what i do is around emotional storytelling how do we sound when we deliver emotion mm. so i help other people that have been through adversity to start to turn the story into something that they can put to an audience. And what that means is that story that's owned them for, for all of their life is they then own their story and they can roll it out to people. And that dynamic shift just wow. increases the joy massively. So. I love the way you put that to change it from the story owning you to you owning the story. So it's about what you talked about earlier about choices. And it is. Owning and it's, that it's, choice. Earning that choice. It absolutely is. But also it's a case of when you start to deliver your experiences, and I know people that have been through horrendous things I've, I've kind of been working with, like terror bombings and lots of different things that go on in the world, mm. sadly. But they go through all these different experiences and for that ability to deliver their challenges through a third-party perspective. Right. So how an, what an audience would learn from listening to them, mm. to suddenly what they feel they've not been through an experience per se, what they've done is they've been given the tools to help other people. They just didn't know it yet. Wow. And it's yeah. an amazing transition. And, mm. and within a day, people go from being really, really close to helping 
a lot of people, which is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing, passing it on back to karma, I think, in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, you know, one of my questions was going to be, well, did you immediately seek help? And I think you answered that by saying, no, it was like 10 years of yeah. Yeah. Um, no. going through this burnout, just running, 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 running until Lost. the wheels fell off or, you know, whatever yeah. thing happened to... Absolutely. And you, you must hear this a lot as well. You, you... Big reactions, big actions come from big events, and mm. most big events are negative. It's yeah. the reason why my business is called Forging People. We can either let those events uh, negatively impact us for the rest of our days, which mm -hmm. is a choice, or we can actually allow it to forge something better, to forge something beautiful, something powerful, something that wouldn't have existed without you going through that stuff in the first place. So, yeah, actually, without that happening, without that day happening, that none of this would be happening. So. Right. We've got two ways of looking at this, that everything that you've ever done and everything that you've ever said and everyone you will ever be has led to exactly where you are right now. But wherever you are and however old you are, everything else is what you do next that counts. And that's, that's the thing we need to focus on. Yeah, it's, it is amazing, as you say, talk about those past experiences and letting those either control us or fear for the future as your options. Yeah. But no, saying there's another option, saying, right, I am where I am. And it's really my choice of where I go from here. Right? Yeah. Every day is well, a new start in a way. Exactly. And we talk about science, like I said, you, the, mm. the science of joy. And it's the science uh, behind that is it takes the same energy to destroy us as it does to pass this to go forward. It's just harnessed, it's harnessed in a different way. Same with anxiety and excitement. It's the same with everything. It's, it's, um, it's all energy. And, and that's what I, I focus mm. on. Yeah, it's all energy and all our cells are renewing and I can't remember exactly how long it took, but it wasn't very <laughs> yeah. long for us to actually physically become new people again. Absolutely, so, I think it was seven years. Seven yeah, years, there you go. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, don't ever say people can't change because we're Absolutely. constantly changing. So that's wonderful. So talking of research and talking of science, when we dug into this and we looked at some stuff by the, the National Institute of Mental Health in the US, and, and I quote them by saying approximately one in five US adults had had an anxiety disorder in the past year. And that statistic was from 2017. So, of course, pre-COVID. Um, and we'll get back to COVID a bit later. But if we look at this statistic, you know, and I say, wow, that's massive. You know, one in five, 20 percent of adults within a year have had anxiety. Why do you think that number's so high? I personally think that it's always been there uh, mm. and I think, think because obviously the pandemic has been probably on another level but but there's been wars there have been there's always been things that have gone through I personally think the difference is now is we are overly connected so mm. actually the awareness is is higher in that sense of the challenges that are going on so if you watch uh, Sky News, for example, on 24-hour repeat, it's going to negatively impact your mental health. 99% right. is not just Sky, by the way, I like to throw it. <laughs> uh, it's 99% is speculation. 1% at best is fact. Mm. And I think that's the problem. And it's the same with, with things like social media, um, that we're so, we've never been so connected as a globe, but we've also never been so disconnected. And where it can have, amazing kind of consequences mm. like us having this chat today for every one of this there's there's a lot of negativity and toxicity and i think for me that over the past 18 months it hasn't just been the pandemic you've had 
uh, racism and bad politics and lots of different things thrown into the mix. And we need to kind of just become increasingly aware that we are an ecosystem in itself. Everything mm. affects everything. Um, so if the overall mood of the country, the globe, is one of negative and fear, that spreads. Yeah. Um, so that's why uh, I think it's really important that we start to kind of really focus on ourselves, mm-hmm. self-awareness, um, compassion for sure, um, but then doing the best that we can from our little corners of the world and collectively, it has yeah. the same impact in a, in, a, in a positive way. Yeah, it's definitely a, sort of a challenge with this belonging because, you know, we heard animals, we, we want to belong, we want to be part of a group. And obviously our research tells us if, if people don't have any friends, if they don't have anything to belong to, then they also suffer from yeah. that. But the sweet spot is basically from our research about five friends. The, you yeah. know, if you've got five good <laughs> friends, that's enough. Yeah. yeah, see, I haven't. I, I genuinely, I, haven't, I would say I've got uh, maybe three really close friends. I've got a small family unit uh, and that's that's enough for me. There, there are other things to throw into the mix. So naturally weirdly given what i do i'm an introvert so i recharge in my own company so as much as i love what i do in in speaking stadium events all over the places i love doing all that however there's a quiet dark corner of the world that i go and sit in afterwards to recharge now hand on heart the first year of the pandemic and lockdown and stuff uh here in the uk that actually i was quite happy but even as an introvert the longer that's gone on without being able to see family and everything that that of course is going to have an impact. So it gives you an, a little insight. And, and strangely, I'm not sure from the conversations you've been having, Andrew, if you've, you've heard this as well, but um, the people that have had mental health challenges before have been able to manage this a lot more effectively than people that are new to loneliness and isolation mm. and anxiety and things, because they haven't got the strategies and the, and the mechanisms in place to manage their stuff, their state when they're not feeling good every day. So yeah, it's been an, an interesting, like, I love the word interesting, I cover the whole manner of sin. <laughs> it has been an interesting time for sure definitely definitely and you raised an interesting point about introverts because you know we know obviously if it's one in five in the u.s anybody can develop at any time anxiety so i don't think anybody's yeah. immune to this but are there any sort of people who you feel are sort of more at risk than, than others you know one of the examples that we talk about is an introvert or somebody who's worked their full life and now has to retire doesn't know what to do with their free time yeah that well absolutely i mean there, there's a probably an endless list of people and it all comes back to what i said at the beginning it's because everyone has anxiety now whether it's anxiety about did i turn the oven off or whether it's anxiety or mm. oh i found my mom i found my mom and all everyone has that kind of but for most people, it's it's a manageable state of anxiety yeah. where it's natural. It's a natural reaction to get anxious about something you feel that you've missed mm. or feel that could be a danger. So I think the problem is that, and I, I would I would be massively surprised if that figure was a lot higher now mm. um, in, in terms of kind of anxiety disorders and things. I think for me, it's it is a case of looking at what I call the byproducts of anxiety. Mm. So you may not even have, so you may not even recognize you have anxiety because some of the byproducts could be, do you feel really defensive? Do you feel really aggressive? Do you have a lack of energy or lethargy? Mm-hmm. 
knowing that actually depression and anxiety is such a fine line between the two things. Yeah. Um, for me, anxiety got me down and depression kept me down. So it's, it's a really fine moment between the two mm. things. But it could even be insecurity or jealousy. Um, there's so many things it could be that we don't actually attribute. They're the byproducts of having a high anxiety. Um, so again, it's asking yourself the right questions, being prepared to stand mm. out of your own way because our our own conditioning will start to really fight back against our own questioning. Um, yeah. And then feeling feeling that you do have permission to reach out for help if you're not feeling too good right now. Mm. And whatever that looks like, whether that be counselling or your uh, GP or psychologist, whatever you feel more comfortable, whether it's just a good friend that you trust. Right, and maybe this pandemic in some way has, as you said, made that more difficult for those who experience this for the first time to make that first outreach over Zoom or WhatsApp or whatever, it's not so easy as it would be in person over a beer or at a walk yeah. down the park. You know, you could say, hey, you know, how do you feel very good, got challenges at work um, or whatever the thing is. But to do that in a Zoom environment must be much harder than yeah. in person. Absolutely nail on the head there, Andrew. And, and also in a professional environment, you look at management and leadership as well. Mm. But managing teams of people, maybe even people you even haven't met because right. they joined your um, so how do you know that people are okay? And it's, it's a big, big question because we're, we're all kind of human-focused humans, really. We like, we, we like that even if you're not touched, I mean, I've got a big hug and die, I like hugging everybody, but um, <laughs> if, even if you're not like that, I think you, you can still thrive off the energy of being in front of somebody. You kind of know gut feeling, whether it's good or bad, or if they're a bit off. Um, and we haven't got that. And, and as much as virtual has been good enough, mm. um, the yeah, we need that connection. No, I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up, Nick. I was talking to a leader a couple of weeks ago who, you know, one third of his team he hasn't seen yet physically. <laughs> and he's supposed to manage this team. He can manage them, but can he be a leader? Can yeah. he emotionally connect with these people? And in the old days, you know, you'd have the meeting and you'd spot somebody probably reacts to something you say in the meeting and then you, you pull them aside over the water cooler or by the coffee machine and you have yeah. a chat yeah. or your colleagues have a chat even if you don't, the boss, you know, one of the colleagues goes up to them and say, hey, Amanda, I saw you, you know, looking a bit down in the meeting, you know, like yeah. anything wrong. You okay? and, and that's missing, right? You have the meeting, then everybody goes away, does their thing and leadership becomes a huge challenge within this Absolutely. space. Yeah. So. Yeah, especially especially kind of like you said, emotionally led or inspirational leaders. You can still tick box, but we all know that people don't really get thrived off of uh, tick boxes. They get thrived through inspiration uh, and, like I said, leadership through emotion. Um, but it, it does connect back into what you were saying about emotional well-being. Mm. That then that will impact you as the leader because you feel that you cannot be as effective as you could be in person. So it compounds your frustration. So it becomes this kind of vicious circle and you can kind of feel it as you're talking through it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I see, you know, sort of difference from the research between males and females in that, you know, females mm -hmm. are much more likely to, to suffer from anxiety disorders as such. But for men, it's much actually harder to deal with it um, because, you know, they're not so good about talking about feelings. Surprise, surprise. Well, See, this, this is it. And, and actually, I think that the, the stat may be kind of skewed again by um, women are very much more prepared to be open and nurturing mentality. So they're happy to, to reach out for help on the whole. 
as a generalism. Whereas the stats wouldn't catch men with those challenges because, again, growing up in, in that kind of traditional kind of alpha male culture, uh, kind of stiff upper lip, man up, we don't talk about that stuff, then that doesn't change in, in a matter of a decade. That changes over a lifetime, probably, before we feel safe enough to start to reach out for help. Um, and it really is the start of that change curve, I guess, in that sense. That um, So that, that's a really awkward one, actually. But even when it comes to running like the speaking academies that I run, mm. so it focuses on emotional, it's emotional storytelling. Of the, I was just planning for Thursday's event this week of a, a cohort of 20 people, 19 are women, because it's based on emotion, one is male. But why is it when I get to stage events that 90% are male speakers and 10% are women? There's a disconnect. There and the disconnect, the disconnect is not just through of course, um, inequality, for sure. Mm. Um, and I still use my platform to champion that. Um, Good. But it also because of the events that I'm running, whether it's myself or speaking at other events, is focusing on delivering emotion, whatever that may be. Mm. And men are really uncomfortable doing that on the whole. Again, it's a generalism, sure. but it's reflected in the numbers. And it's mm. an interesting one. And I think, especially when it comes to the imbalance, for sure, that traditionally women haven't had that platform to say what they want to say without that fear of judgment or ridicule or anything else. So I, I think we've gone for a huge period of change, generally, as a globe. Um, and honestly, uh, that's been reflected in, in a lot of kind of, I would say, toxicity over the past year as well, for sure. I think the pandemic is just one part of that. Definitely, definitely. And I think perfectionism has definitely a role to play here that you know people trying to it's a good motivation for, for to a certain degree and then it sort of switches doesn't it and then becomes a huge challenge if you're looking again from recovery from mental health you, i presume you can't have perfectionism as a goal here no and actually as somebody who's a, a former obsessive compulsive i need to be very careful with perfectionism it, it's a uh, it's a routine. It is something that I could actually get quite hung up on. So my my advice is always not to wait to be perfect to start. Actually, if I would if I would have done that, I still would be doing what I'm doing now. But uh, deliver and evolve and repeat and lots of different things. But I think with perfectionism, again, it breeds its own challenges. I guess. Um, so absolutely, don't wait for perfect to be to start. Perfectionism can create a lot of challenges. But again, that can be amplified by societal influences, like um, the gender imbalance in professional speaking, that there's this desire to be perfect before the message goes out there because extra fear of judgment, extra fear of ridicule, lots of different things. I mean, we could probably chat for a whole week on this stuff. But we could, we could, but that brings <laughs> up an interest. <laughs> yeah, but you bring up a very interesting point around confidence and self-esteem, yeah. self-belief, this narrative that we create in our minds where that could be either be a negative thing for us or we can create a positive story. And I think this issue of stories you talk about, right, the facts, as opposed to, well, is it just a story yes. we tell ourselves or other people tell us? You yeah. Know. So I, I think for me, I, I love basic examples. So I'm not, I'm not a details guy. Um, Go for it. I, deli I deliver to schools as well. And uh, a young lady said to me once, so what really makes her anxious is when she messages her friend and her friend doesn't message her back. Mm -hmm. But that's not what makes her anxious. That's the transaction. Mm 
what makes her anxious is the story that she tells herself about that she's been dismissed or judged or not loved that we've fallen out it's the story yeah. actually by the end of that session she had heard back from a friend but that's by the by we can apply those rules to anything that we're anxious about right now whether it's you or your audience think about that something that's really anxious uh, kind of making you anxious right now mm. really stressing you out now is it fact because if it is fact we can deal with facts we can reach out for help we can find the solution yeah. but if it's a story that we're telling ourselves we can start to change our narrative because remember we're hardwired to look for danger hardwired to look for fear start to talk yourself into a winning game as opposed to a losing game one of the the, the best lines i love to say at a, a corporate environment is if i said to you now your boss wants to see you in your office would you immediately go to great i've got a pay rise or would you go <laughs> i'm sacked i'm out of here and you'll go sacked every time because we're hardwired mm. to look at negativity so when you're next anxious or stressed about something really check in on that actually is that true or is it the assumption that you're making about that situation that's interesting. And that sort of brings me to a, a quote that we, we came across, and I'd like your opinion on it, which sort of says that the key to overcoming any anxiety condition is practicing willful tolerance of uncertainty. So what do you think about that? Willful tolerance of uncertainty. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I've worked with some of the world's leading brands, KFC, Harvey Nichols, lots of different American Express. Hmm on the kind of the entry meetings when I have uh, meetings with our people there, the number one biggest anxiety trigger is change every single time. So actually change and, and lines that are brilliant with that statement, change uncertainty is unavoidable. Right. So actually, as I said, right at the beginning, all we have in our toolbox is our playbook. How do we build resilience? How do we, how do we bounce back when that stuff that blindsides us mm. does blindside us? And actually recognizing that we cannot control the uncontrollable. We cannot control pandemics or other people or mm. what they say or what they do. All we have is what we choose to go into each and every day with and how we bounce back when we do get knocked off our feet. Right. And, you know, that has broader impact. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of young people about climate change anxiety and yeah. trying to talk to them about the fact that they cannot take responsibility for the polar bears. You know, it's yeah. just way beyond their sphere of control. To do yeah. that, so instead to focus on the things that they could perhaps impact with their small yeah. actions. Absolutely. Like I said, it's small actions. It's by all means um, join and fight for a movement. However, the decision isn't yours. And it's the same uh, on, on a, a bit of a lighter note that my mum is obsessed or was obsessed with following Donald Trump on Twitter. Um, <laughs> It, it was not good for her mental health. I would like to stress, not because she's a fan, it's because she just, she, it was like a dangerous soap opera. She just kept following what mm. he was saying all the time, getting really stressed about the, the dangerous things he was putting out there. But I said to her, so there's going to be things in life that you cannot influence, and there's things that you can influence. And Donald Trump falls into this one, you cannot influence that. Right. <laughs> he, even his PR team couldn't influence him, apparently. So what <laughs> hope does anybody else have? <laughs> It's a great example of that we need to be really mindful of what goes into our eyes and our ears and yeah. recognize what's in our control and what's not. That's very much true. One last thing to talk about about overcoming anxiety is around comfort zones. Because yeah. you know, comfort zones are very nice, right? Everybody likes a soft pillow in a way. And but there has to be dangers to the anxiety as a comfort zone and how can you thereby stepping out of that comfort zone 
explain to somebody who's suffering from anxiety how it would be of yeah. their benefit to step out of that zone? Sure, thank you. It's a great, great question. Actually, again, not saying it because you're on the call now, one of the best questions I've been asked, actually. Um, now, we have to realise that comfort zones aren't always comfortable, actually rarely comfortable. Toxic relationships are a comfort zone. It's easier to stay in a position of pain and frustration than it is to do something about it. Yeah. So, and you see that a lot. Um, my, I speak very openly about my challenges with weight. I'm a six foot four, 20 odd stone guy. I'm a big mm -hmm. guy. Now, my association with being big is positive. I'll kind of screw next with a little brand on it. But the point is, because I've got a, a male association of big and strong is good. Um, but actually, it's a comfort zone because physically, it's not good for me to be this way. So, it's a comfort zone. So a comfort zone for me is doing what I did today is going out for a nice kind of four or five mile walk. Um, and it pushes me just outside my comfort zone enough to become okay. Mm. And it's the same with everything else. It's the same with anxiety as well. So do something that scares you a little bit every day, but right. tiny bits. Um, the Japanese have a, a term of Kaizen, mm -hmm. uh, which is um, daily incremental consistent changes. It's an old American workplace methodology. Yeah. Um, marginal gains, sports coaches call it marginal gains, where every day just push yourself a little bit out more. So vulnerability, mm -hmm. especially, practice being a little bit vulnerable, even if it's just to yourself every single day. And what you do, you do expand your comfort zone a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we, we then recognize that if in, in the example of anxiety, as you stated, that we need to fully accept that if we're in a position of pain and frustration and anxiety right now, we need to fully accept exactly where we are. And it's only when we do that, can we then start to expand that comfort zone and move into survival mode. It's yeah. how long can I last exactly where I am right now? And once you've got those two things nailed, you can move on to really pushing and expanding what's going to be good for you going forward. Um, but taking away that boom and bust mentality mm. of anything to do with personal development. Yeah, you don't have to leap today. You don't have to. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I mean, like I said, I'm still very much a work in progress. I probably mm. still will be until the day I, I shuffle my mortal coil, to be fair. And right. I think that's important to recognize that mm. a lot of this stuff just needs to be managed. This isn't about punishing or getting rid of anxiety. We need it. What it is, it's actually making it work in your favor and being the one that's kind of in, in control of it as much as possible. Yeah, that I suppose in summary, you know that you're who you are today is good enough, but you do have yeah. the opportunity to be a little bit better tomorrow if you want to be. Yeah, exactly. And whatever, whatever better and successful mm. stuff means to you is, and right. I think that's the thing is, it's annoying, it, 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 annoying. It, it is annoying, is ignoring that kind of society definition of success. Right, the conformity. Um, yeah, comparing yeah. yourself against other mm. people, that kind of fear of missing out thing that we all see on social media and stuff. And yeah, yeah it, and it just, as going back to your exact theme of the day, actually working out actually what brings you joy and actually bringing that into your life, whether somebody agrees with that or not. You don't have to bring everybody else on your journey. Uh, so the one thing I guess is really gets me is something quite nice to finish on is self-care is not selfish, that actually is crucial. We need to put ourselves before anything or anyone. Um, and once we have that mindset and it is a mindset shift, then we can really start to make great strides. It is. And you know, this, we talk about love a lot, but we talk about joy and we talk about, you know, three different types of love, obviously love for others, love for the planet, but don't also forget love for yourself. Right? Yeah, and absolutely. that has to be the foundation. If you, if you don't love yourself, you, you've got no real hope of loving anybody else authentically. Uh, yeah, but it absolutely. gets a bad rap, right? As you say, it gets confused with selfishness. So thanks yeah. for bringing that up. <laughs>
And you also brought up joy, which was wonderful. So that, you know, is really my final question, although it's not because I'm going to ask you a sneaky question, but my second penultimate question is, Nick, what brings you joy? Uh, country music. I love, I'm a big, big country music fan. Uh, I go to Nashville and yeah, it's, it's kind of my thing. Um, I love the storytelling of it. And again, it goes mm. back to that. I'm driven by storytelling. I love storytelling. Um, and yeah, for me, that does it. Absolutely does it for me. Yeah, we, we, we got to do another podcast on country music now. Um, I was just listening to the latest album by Rodney Crowell. And well, yes. he's got a, he's, he's a great storyteller. Right. Yeah. Maybe not the best singer in the world, um, technically, but what a story. You don't have to be. No, you don't. If you tell a good story into a tune, yeah. you're good enough for me. So my final question, really, this is my final question, is that you're famous for saying every storm runs out of rain. Yes. Can you elaborate on this and why it became so symbolic okay. to you? Well, as a fellow country music fan, it's a great track by Gary Allen for you to check out after the show. Uh, every storm runs out of rain. I love that. It, it, what it means to me is that we need to know that every storm we've ever been through, you've at least survived because you're here. Most of the time we thrive. Most of the time we evolve. I know people who have been through horrendous, horrendous circumstances, knowing that we cannot turn back time, knowing that we can only play the hand that life deals us. What they've done with that is to accept that and done amazing things with that same energy and changed a world in a positive way that was fueled by that horrendous situation. And it gives, I think for me, it gives everybody a message of hope. It means that whatever's been before this very point right now, mm. that it has led to exactly where you are, but is what you do next to counts. I think at the moment, there's a lot of people that needs to know that. So if somebody comes to you looking for that kind of hope or inspiration, pass that onto them as well. I think that's the thing we need most at the moment when you're a real big kind of everyone looking out for each other. Yeah, I love that way to wrap this up to say it's about hope, but also about passing it on, right? Passing on yeah. the end. It's all about energy. And Absolutely. we all have this role to play in that energy. So I'm sorry, Nick, but we've got to end it here. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time. And, and I hope you, our listeners, feel inspired and, and empowered by my chat with Nick today about anxiety and how to overcome it. I'm in order to bring some more joy to your own life as well as to the lives of your loved ones. So please visit www.nickelston.com to learn more. And why not hop on to social media and using the hashtag at Joy Superpowers to share your own experiences with anxiety and, and overcoming it. And if you don't do so already, please follow the art and science of joy on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn but don't spend too long on these platforms. But come in and join the conversation and help us spread the joy. Thanks once again for listening and I hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the Joy Superpowers series when we'll be exploring the Joy Superpower of being in nature with Ben Page. So looking forward to that one. So thanks, Nick. Um, thanks, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.